Shabai, welcome back to the podcast. You can become a patron of H-Hour by going to patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts and support what I do and what the podcast is doing and uh, become a part of a niche little community of uh, podcast supporters. Yeah, become a, become a H-Hour patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash HK podcast. Thank you. Sponsoring the podcast today are the Development Society. Development Society is a community of people who want to be better than they were yesterday. They are more than just a clothing company. They truly are a unique community of like-minded people looking to improve. From merchandise where you don't just buy it, you have to earn it, to weekly Zoom yoga sessions. They're the best kind of people you can find. They are hard workers. The DevSoc community is open to all who want to improve. So if you want to get involved with DevSoc, join their infamous Daily Waves newsletter and their Slack community. You can join their Daily Waves newsletter by going onto their website, thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk, chucking your email address into the box for about, for the uh, Daily Waves newsletter and sign up to that content and you get Daily Waves in your inbox. Daily Waves of uh, good, positive, useful information to help you with your self-improvement, personal improvement, professional improvement. They also do uh, yoga sessions online, which you can get involved with, and they are active on Instagram and Facebook as at the Development Society. So um, if you want to get more of an understanding about their philosophies, what they do, how they do it, and how they can benefit you, then visit their website, thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk. In the meantime, and in their own words, stay wavy. Also sponsoring the podcast today are the Aardvark Group. Aardvark provide advanced systems for the protection and management of territories, borders, assets and people for a global customer base. The Aardvark solution incorporates risk management, satellite and UAV imagery for situational awareness, safe systems for the investigation, identification and destruction of landmines and the remnants of war and standoff explosive detection technologies. Aardvark operate in the humanitarian critical defense, security, and commercial sectors in the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Americas, and they are widely regarded as the most effective landmine clearance system in the world. Their expertise is in the creation and implementation of safe systems for the investigation, decontamination, and handover of land impacted by the remnants of war. Following their recent acquisition of Aardvark in August 2017, the new management has sought to develop and expand the company's offerings with systems and solutions that complement the company's highly regarded status. One such enhancement is the addition of advanced drone technology, UAVs, surveillance technology, providing the company with market-leading situational awareness for mine clearing, counterterrorism, border security and asset protection operations. You can find out more about Aardvark at aardvark.group. You can also get a discount in their online shop, which sells kit and equipment, which can be useful for people working in post-conflict zones. The discount code is H-H-O-U-R. Yep, H-O-U-R. H-H-O-U-R. Stick that in, you get a discount. Aardvark.group. Thanks, Aardvark, for being a sponsor of the podcast. Lastly, sponsoring the podcast today are... Rugby for Heroes, a not-for-profit organisation which has been going since 2009. They were formed in the wake of the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed in operations, served in Afghanistan in 2008 with the Parachute Regiment. And since Rugby for Heroes have formed, they've raised in excess of £114,000 now, I think it is. They recently raised thousands of pounds at an event on 
in, on the 26th of June at Old Lemontonians RFC. It was the Rugby for Heroes Restart Festival, an incredible event, rugby going on. There was three different matches going on, incredible matches. You had the Forces Barbarians playing, you had the Pacific Islands Rugby Club playing, you had the Old Lemontonians RFC playing, you had the Warwick Medics playing. It was an awesome day. There was live music on. There was all sorts of entertainment. There was stalls, food, beer, gin, cheap food and cheap beer and gin behind the bar at OLs as well and there was veteran owned stalls as well as well it was an incredible event for an awesome uh, initiative fundraising for military charities as I said they've got more events coming up this year and it's well worth getting involved with Rugby for Heroes I have been every single one of their events since I discovered Rugby for Heroes when was it three years ago now and I intend to go to every single one of their events in the future if I can they've got supper clubs going on they've got more rugby festivals they've got more beer, beer and gin festivals Find out more about Rugby for Heroes at rugbyforheroes.org. In fact, rugby4heroes.org works as well, I recently discovered. So rugbyforheroes.org, whichever way you want to spell it. And on social media, they are at rugby4heroes. Thank you to Mike and everybody for sponsoring the podcast. That's it. On to the podcast. My guest today is Jeremy Gibbs. Jeremy Gibbs, is uh, he's been in the agricultural industry for many, many, many years. And he, well, not, not low, well, most of his adult life, I'll say it, because he's not an old boy, but most of his adult life he's been in the agriculture industry and he is the founder of Forces Farming. This is the H-Hour Podcast. My name is Hugh Keir and my guest today is Jeremy Gibbs. Enjoy. Jeremy Gibbs in the H-Hour studio. Patreon exclusive interview done. Now HR podcast grand in session. Welcome. Thank you, mate. It's <laughs> taken a while to get here, isn't it? I was thinking the other day. It's probably it's almost exactly two years since I first chatted to you. We is spoke it? on the phone in 2009. Well, I was trying to get you in the studio. I wasn't for a while, yeah. but you weren't ready. We forced his father. Yeah, there was a, that's true. And a lot has changed since then. A lot has a lot's changed during lockdown. To be fair, before we get onto that. Yeah. Well, explain to me again why the milk, you, one, you brought me milk, two, it's got a gold top, and three, it's, when I poured it in my coffee, it's got a very creamy edge to it. It's not normal, should we say? Not normal. It's not, it tastes delicious. It's not like. normal milk, no. Um, well, like I said, I was planning on bringing you a cap and whatnot, but that's not ready, unfortunately. I yeah. can't make coffee with a cap. Either. No, exactly. Exactly. You can't eat coffee. Can't and drink. I've got uh, yeah. Explorer Coffee's pink piss-taking one that you gave me on. Anyway, <laughs> it suits on. you, though. Adds to your complexion. So basically, the milk I brought you, which you've got in your coffee, and I've just topped up in my hot chocolate, um, is it's, so it's from a dairy farm that sells raw milk, um, where my other half works, which we're we're looking at sort of how how can we take the business forward and whatnot. So I've been selling that milk, which is raw milk, so straight out of the cow, into a tank and straight into the bottles you've got there. Um, so I've been taking it up to London with the farmer that owns it and runs it and selling it up in London. And people, people are starting to realise that actually the more processing of the food and the more processing of everything isn't actually needed and it's not necessarily healthy for you. So a lot of the people, we've got people come in, they'll take like 20, 30 litres of the stuff, take it home, freeze it, and then they've got whatever six months milk. Um, and you and you, I chat to a few people about why they're you know why are you particularly buying it, and they say it's because it's more healthy for you. It's not been processed. It's straight from the animal. It's healthy. It's it's good you, for you almost. Will you pull that mic down just slightly, slightly, slightly? There you go. Yeah, yeah cool, down. perfect. But now that's that's Is more than slightly. I was flicking back up. I was going to say it does. Oh, it does, right. it does right. flick back right. up a little bit. Um, what was going to say to you? Yeah. So. 
the, that in that bottle is exactly the same as if I went to the cow and mm-hmm. squeezed it into my coffee myself. Nothing's yeah. happened no. between the path and storage. Exactly. That's why it's got a short shelf life because um, it's not processed, it's not heat treated or whatever. But if you're drinking a litre every couple of days, that's absolutely fine. You can do that. Um, or you can, as I said, or you can freeze it or you can store it. Store it for a couple of days and then open it and use it within sort of two, three days. It's fine. But yeah, that that is straight from the cow. Um, it's a Jersey and Guernsey herd, so it's the traditional sort of brown, golden cows. You'd call them ginger, to be fair, if you were picking a colour. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and um, and and it, that and the, to be fair, the steak that I brought you as well. I mean, that that is the way that like forces farming is going. Is it's it's a farming company. It's not a recruitment company. It's not a training company. It's not it's not processing people for you know, organizations to pay. It's a business that someone can come and work in and work with and train with, et cetera, et cetera. And part of it will be working with dairies like that, that producing milk and you can leave at the end of the day, you've been if you want to if you, if it's a paid placement, you can be paid and you walk away with milk and meat and stuff like that. So it does, it does taste delicious. I mean completely it does and because it's it's gold top, like you mentioned, it's about six percent fat, but that's fat that you can process, you can eat you know, you can absorb. It's not going to turn into fat. It's going to be used for energy and and burnt off. Um, you know, you, you if you Google raw milk, um, it's like sports recovery and stuff like that, you'll find a lot of athletes talk about raw milk and the nutrition that's in it and the protein and everything, the calcium and whatnot. I, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a scientist, but that that is like an energy drink, for example. You are triggering all the vegans, <laughs> all of the vegans, triggering them all. <laughs> But you can't say it, you can't say animal products are good for you. You can't say it. I know. What are you talking you, about? You, what, are you, uh, what are you talking about? With all your science. Don't come in here with all your science. <laughs> I can only say I can only say what I know, and that is that is that is good for you. And and people agree. People buy it and stuff. And they saw that That's all right. It's all right. It's probably going to be all right there. It's just going slipping down the chair as well. No, there you go. Sit down. That's all right, isn't it? Is that good? Yeah. Keep an eye on the levels. I said I wouldn't touch the mic. No, you blew me. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. It's me being a perfectionist. What Uh, you need is a comfy sofa. Yeah, I think because it's it's very formal. We're sitting. Do you know? So so that's that's, there's a risk. So if we're going all over the place, like that's that's one thing I learned when I when I did my previous career was like how you interact with people. So you and me talking like this face to face is that's why people turn this way. Why you sit staggered and. Stuff like that. No, but th- this is not that you're making I, me feel I know, uncomfortable. I know what you're saying. Not yet. I know what you're saying, right? But yeah. there's a risk there. Is that the le- the more informal you are in your posture, yeah. the less attention you pay to your words. Yeah, true. I have a thing with my headphones, right? Yeah. If I take my he- so if I take my headphones off and try and do a podcast, that I hate it. Because when my headphones go on, that is, okay, Hugh, you need to concentrate what you're saying now. There's people listening. Yeah. You can't go talking you can, like you do you other people. You could sit on a sofa with You've got to be careful. On. No, so, that's true. So though. if you're on a sofa, man, stuff can get wild. In the same way it does if I'm drinking. It's the same thing. You get loose, don't you? You the don't next drink thing, on you're slagging podcast, everybody off and you're telling people about your sex life and it's all sorts of... Pe- <laughs> and then you walk out the studio and you're single. <laughs> As I say, we've been going, what, about six minutes now and, it, and we're already talking about sex. Life. That's great. That was fantastic. But anyway, yeah, so the milk's good for you. It's healthy. It could probably be good for that as well. Um, and the steak is from an animal that, that my other half bought back in November, um, reared it up over the winter. Um, he spent his winter grazing, wandering around with his mates, spring wandering around growing getting heavier and heavier and when he was up to weight we decided that that was it thanks but you know 
that's this is what we're doing. Farming is producing food. So we sold off. Um, no, we didn't sell it. Sorry, but we we gave it to friends basically and things like that. And and it was just it's just nice to follow something from start to finish sort of thing. So I thought, well, we can't really have a barbecue tonight. It's still frozen, but it it's yeah. There you go. Enjoy it tomorrow. Let me know how it tastes. I'll have it tomorrow night. Yeah. Definitely. But next time you come up, we should... Um, yeah, we'll have a barbecue. Yeah, but we've got a Mikey... Mike, have you heard of Mikey's Meats? No. <sighs> really? You know Mike Valance? Yeah. <sighs> he is the most extraordinary barbecue artist. No. Kind of barbecue artist ever. He goes on courses, mate. He I didn't courses, know that. Uh, he's been on like retreat, retreats away where he goes with Pucker Jen barbecue experts and he does no courses way. in barbecue i'm telling you you never tasted anything like it I need to get he's about 10 minutes down the road from i you. need to get him some meat he's got about 50 barbecues all those different things mate you don't get in between him and his barbecue honest oh, to god he's a, he's a ninja i'll bring him half a cow to <laughs> <him>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just let you tell it with half a cow there i might enjoy <laughs> love that, every barbecue going that, no man. that'd be fantastic like but meats, yeah. yeah but I mean, but that's it. It's, it's, it's about enjoyment, you know. People enjoy food, and if you're gonna if you're gonna eat less meat, you know, know where it comes from and know how it was reared and stuff like that. Don't just, you know, pick up cheap stuff from wherever it comes and so on and so forth. Have a think, and that that's that's like the whole ethos going forward with with the company. Really, is it's that it's just a, let's say regenerative, you know, pr- food producing company because that's what Forces Farming is, you know. And I want people to be on the journey with that and eventually get to the point where we've got, you know, forces farming products in sort of supermarkets or somewhere or that that's that's where the opportunity is in terms of actually we're producing food and we can label it like that and people it, it could potentially sort of drive consumer behaviour really. You know, actually I'm choosing that product because it's supporting veterans getting into agriculture. Great. We take a percentage and it's of the, sustainable. And it's sustainable, yeah, exactly. We take percentage of the profits and bang them into the charity. It's a self-funding model. That's the thing, because I'm I'm conscious. You know, there's you know charitable funding. We you know yourself. It's gone down by what eighty five percent or something. You know, so there's no point in me going around saying, "Can I have some charity money? Can you help me do this? Can you help me do that?" Whereas if I can start a business producing food that people want, you know, you're producing a commodity, um, and then part of the profits will go into funding the whole forces farming program. It's self-funding, and you know, everyone everyone has to eat. In some respects, just choose where you get it from and how it's produced, basically. So. Can we come on to the subject of regenerative farming and also, um, well, that as one, uh, and the way that farming and ag- the agriculture industry, livestock industry, is being labelled at the moment, yeah. rightly and wrongly in some areas. From you know, just from it's hard at the moment, right, to tell. I'm as much in the dark as anyone else. Yeah, but it's hard at the moment to tell how bad agriculture, livestock, farming, agriculture, you know, that farming is for the, for the environment, for example, mm. or how harmful that food is for you, which I don't believe at all, for you, for you as a person as opposed to like, for example, the, mm. you know, the vegan diet or vegetarian diet or you know, non-meat diet, right? Mm. What's, so you were, you're around, you're a farmer and you're around a lot yeah. of farmers a lot of the time. What's the f- how 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 is it how is that being perceived? What's the what's the feeling on that side of the of the fence? So you you could probably split that. <coughs> excuse me. You probably split that into, let's say, sort of, almost sort of four four answers if that makes sense in terms of the producing food part of it, 
and let's say the animal agriculture and how that's perceived. It's interesting that you ask that because as you said then, you're in the dark. And that's how I think a lot of things are. So there's the element of communication from the industry out, talking about what they're doing and, and what they're what carbon they're capturing and what how the, how the things actually work on the environmental side. So there's a communication part that I think needs to improve. But then you get into the whole sort of discussions of diets and things like that. Is the regenerative, you mentioned something about like earlier, it's, it's sustainable. Sustainable is fine, but at the moment, just carrying on as we are, consuming the diesel, consuming the fertilizer and minerals and everything that's mined wherever, um, shipping them up here, producing them, making them into fertilizer, and then chucking that on the crops, is 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 sustainable for a while, but it's burning a lot of fossil fuels. And, and that's the element of agriculture that needs to reduce its emissions. And that's where the whole idea of regenerative agriculture comes from. So if you've got a field, let's say when I was driving up here, for argument's sake, if you take the, the rugby pitch, you know, that's a field of grass. It's it's not the same as it being eaten by cows because it's not producing food, but it's grass, it's growing, it's photosynthesizing, it's producing, taking carbon dioxide, producing oxygen, and it's putting organic matter down in the soil. So basically, as you imagine the rugby pitch, as it dries up, when we've got no rain, cracks appear, that grass plant puts out so many different type, kinds of roots into the system, into the roots and looking for moisture. As soon as it rains, let's say 50% of those roots will die and then they just become organic matter in the ground and it's it's basically just brown, you know, helps the soil, feeds the worms, etc., etc., and so on and so forth. But because that's mown every every week, for example, it doesn't have the chance to be strong enough to expel all those roots and bring them back in. Whereas if you started putting cattle on there, they would eat eat the grass down to where they wanted to, and then they'd move on to another bit. That plant would then have a chance to grow maybe for another for you know four, six weeks perhaps as the cows have moved past it. But as they're moving past in it, moving over it, for example, moving past it, they're pissing, shitting, doing what they do, trampling. So they're pushing the plant that's growing above the ground with their hooves, they're pushing that into the soil. A similar idea as the roots going out, dying off, looking for moisture. They're pushing plant material into the soil. That's feeding worms. That's feeding bugs. It's potentially disturbing other seeds that might come back next year or disturbing wildflowers or things like that. Um, and moving cattle across it like that, your feet, your, their manure and things like that is feeding the soil microbes and all down to the smallest, tiniest bacteria that is the bottom of the food web. So to say that we can live in a world that has no animal agriculture and all animal agriculture is bad, you can't say that if you understand how the soil web works, basically. Because that manure is in a soluble format. It's been through a ruminant, which is a cow, sheep, whatever. It's been through an animal. The nutrient in that plant that the animal doesn't need comes out in a form that the roots can absorb. Rather than taking it out of a bag and throwing it on the field every year, the idea of bringing in things like cattle... Um, is is putting basically out the other end what the plants need. And that might be the plants that are there. They might be ploughed up or cultivated, and then the following crop might use the nutrients from the animal. But it's the idea of bringing animals into the system to feed the soil, and then at the same time making sure the soil is always covered. That's part of the um, regenerative cycle. Covered? Yeah. So if you imagine, where are we, um, July? So, for example, if, you, if they're going to harvest a crop in August you could technically plough that field up, leave it as bare soil over the winter, and then plant a crop into it in the spring. There's no there's no rules that say you can't do that. 
it's bad husbandry because then you've got soil runoff, you've got nutrients getting into water courses, and then you, you're not polluting the water course, but you're, you've got soil runoff, you've got nutrients running out of your field if it's ploughed over the winter, for example. So the idea being that instead of doing something like that, you would just have a crop growing with roots in the soil that's binding the soil together. It might be like winter food for birds. It might be, you know, a... a winter crop that's going to then be destroyed in the spring and then used to feed the next crop so on and so forth but making sure that the soil is always sort of covered basically is so you plow the field leave it exposed to the winter or for any time you 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 get all all the goodness from it is going to start going over time yeah basically because it's exposed whereas okay now that's not everywhere there's it's the same with everything you know this is it works for some farms it doesn't work for other farms if you look at the other side of that organic farmers for example who generally have more weed pressure and things like that they have to plow but that's just choosing a tool in a list of options that might work for you on your farm sort of thing so every everywhere is different so to go out and say you shouldn't be plowing you all have to have animals etc 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 isn't a solution for everyone um and it and it's something that's in discussion at the moment so everyone says farming's changing and this that and the other but Unless you know what's going on at down to the sort of that sort of kind of detail, it it's all looks from the outside that well they want to plant more trees or they want, you know, to plant more whatever pollinator mixes or this, that and the other. And to understand the whole network of farming is isn't isn't easy, but just to say we shouldn't be eating animals, we need to eat more veg eat more vegetables isn't really a, a rounded argument, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, well, there's two. You've got the ethical side of it, haven't you? And you've got the sustainability side of it. But is there a way to regeneratively farm without animals, without using animals? Yeah, you could incorporate, you know, what they call cover crops and things like that. And there are sources of fertilizer. So, for example, I worked for quite a large um, renewable energy company. They were producing biomethane, it was going straight into the grid. And then the carbon dioxide that came off that, for example, was going into the drinks industry for beers and so on and so forth. They produce as a byproduct, basically the same as a cow manure, but it's not been through an animal, it's not involved in animal agriculture. And that, that for example, you could use as an organic fertilizer, and that would be considerably, you know, would have a considerable impact on the yield and things like that and the quality of the, the produce if you were producing vegetables with it, for example. Um, but yeah, no, you don't have to, in, you know, you haven't got to incorporate animals. I'm a bit biased because I love cows, but that's that's just me. But what it what what the livestock also brings to the table is for example if i if i wanted to get into farming and i thought right i'm going to start growing crops you know vegetables or something like that if you look so let's say an acre costs ten thousand pounds if you then want to grow vegetables in an acre you've got to put in quite a lot of investment you'd probably be around if you're doing a lot of the labour yourself with seeds and compost and everything and, and the back breaking work, you know, making like vegetable beds and this, that and the other, you'd either have to get a machine to do it and you'd be turning the soil over or you'd have to do a lot of work. But you'd be, let's say round figures, 30 probably to 40 grand an acre. I'm only, I'm only sort of random figures here, but it's an example. Whereas if I wanted to put some sheep on an acre, you could buy five sheep probably for 500 quid and you could rent the rent the acre for maybe if it was if you had to pay more for it, it might be 150 quid or 100 quid an acre for the year. But then you've got animals on there that are eating the grass, turning it into food. Now, yes, you're not going to have the same return, but you haven't got the same investment up front. So, the idea of actually having more livestock being farmed 
properly, if you like, or regeneratively on land that currently doesn't use livestock is is a good business opportunity for people that want to get into farming or investing in livestock is a lot less than investing in a combine harvester, a seed drill, fertilizer, sprays, land rent. You know, it's just, whereas you can find bits of land, you know, acres here, acres there, and you could have, you know, five or six sheep on it. You could rear five or six lambs and then kill them at the end of the year. They might cost you, let's say, 30, 40 pound a lamb. You rent the field, 100 pound a year. Um, you know, and then the lamb at the end of it is probably worth 100 quid, you know, butchered. So suddenly you've turned 30 quid into 100 quid and you've not really done much. You've, you've watched lambs grow eating grass. And suddenly you've got, yeah, six lambs that can go in a butcher. And, you know, half a lamb is quite a lot of meat. So it, it, it helps a lot with, you know, younger people coming into the industry that perhaps want to start with livestock and do it that way. And and that then just brings up, you know, then after that, all you need to do is market it and, and start to talk to local people and get it processed by a butcher and whatnot to an end product and say, right, I'm going to start selling my meat. I've got it also, you know, it's got all the certificates, it's got all the health and safety and trading standards and all that. But I can go to a pub, for example, and say, do you want to buy half a lamb? You know, that that's doable on a weekend if you, you know, if it's just you, for example. Um, whereas, yeah, the vegetable side, you you you've got so many inputs and quite a lot higher risk and a lot more work obviously for more return but depends what you got what you want to do really um and it, and if you if you see you know some of the fields and some of the areas that are purely vegetable production if you take carrots for example so it's pretty wet at the moment carrots are being harvested so again take the rugby pitch if that was a field full of carrots Mate, I tell you, that was a field full of carrots. <laughs> Flipping heck. Some people would kick off at this rugby club and they go mental. They would go crazy. Honest to God. Pressure. <laughs> Pressure's about We should grow. plant some for next season. That would yeah. amuse me. It would amuse me. But after after the food bars. Yeah, we'll have an eight-hour garden yeah. out here. We get, <laughs> um, we get, get, some, get growing something. Um, no, so so if you imagine if that field was... You know, you know like we cancelled a rugby patch because the, the pitch is waterlogged. So if that field was waterlogged, um, but the person you were supplying said, I'm sorry, the supermarket needs... 10 tons of carrots, you've got to go out and harvest those carrots, even if it's pissing down with rain, even if you're making a mess damaging the soil, because you've got a contract to fulfill. So actually, suddenly, just switching to vegetables, it doesn't suit all of the UK. You know, I don't know what it is. I think 60% of the UK is is unable to grow crops anyway, because it's hillland, upland, grassland, it's near river, you know, rivers, etc. But... You know, and it's the same with Brussels sprouts, cabbage, anything that's in the in the field. You know, potatoes and stuff. You can't turn around to the supermarket and go, "Look, sorry, it's it's raining, it's too wet. We can't take the machine out in the field." The the you know the lorries are coming, the contracts there. You've got to supply potatoes, whatever, you know, carrots, cauliflower, whatever, when when they want it, sort of thing. So suddenly you've gone from actually a nice green field with a few animals in it to maybe six or seven tractors driving around in the mud, taking mud out on the road because the carrots are going two miles down the road. And it's a completely different idea of doing it, you know, but there are people um, looking at doing lower or smaller scale vegetables, but along the sort of no dig lines. And actually, you can get into something called, um, it's basically called a CSA, I can't remember what it stands for. But you, you, for example, you pay a monthly fee to that person producing the vegetables and you get your box of vegetables or your box of meat every month or every week or however many times you want it, but you, you've paid for the next six months. So you're not going around Tesco's or wherever or Sainsbury's or Morrison's. Well, you're going about the consumer. Okay, yeah. right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But so HelloFresh do that now. Yeah, there you go. It's the same sort of thing. 
but a lot of smaller people are starting to do it sort of direct. So you're funding their startup business. You know, so if I went if I went round for oh, example, direct to the farm. yeah, direct to the farm, yeah, How yeah, I yeah, do yeah, that, yeah, 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 exactly. I was literally yeah. looking two yeah. weeks ago because I want to start yeah. eating healthier meat. I yeah. was looking for a meat supplier. Yeah. I want a regular meat supplier. But to be honest, the yeah. ones I found a bit steep, and they were big, big companies. I don't yeah. want that. No, I want no. local. Send me some flipping steaks. Yeah, exactly. Like on a regular bit, I would happily pay for yeah, that yeah, yeah. because yeah. I, I look at this. Sorry, I'm jumping in you. No, I look you at this. I'm probably going to pay more for those steaks than I would in Tesco's, right? But they're healthier. And the other thing is, when I go to Tesco's, I don't just buy fucking steaks. I go down all the other aisles and I fill my basket with crap. Yeah, I'm saving money. Yeah, <laughs> I I can't, I can't. You are. You start. You start shopping for what you need, and you're exactly right. And it, this is one thing we've been looking at doing. You know, is when we get the farm, as in a, a location, will be exactly that. We'll be starting meat boxes and things like that because. Yes, we're limited on shipping distance. But if you can say to someone, I, I'll, tell me what you want to spend. Tell me what you want. If you want mince, if you want chops, if you want lamb, if you want chicken, and we'll plan that for your month, and then we'll deliver it either, you know, or, or either come and pick it up. You know, do you know if, farms are doing that now? Yeah, do you yeah. Know farms yeah, are yeah, doing that now. I could find, I could find some. Yeah, yeah. We'll I do. am in. Yeah, yeah, I am yeah. all a, the way in. I'm telling you. There's a friend all of mine. Not he's uh, he's Northampton direction. But he, anyway, there's a network. I, I, yeah, we'll have a look. But there's a there's, a, there's some good networks popping up that. Um, I know there's one called My Local Larder on um, Instagram. You can have a look at that. And that's exactly what they want to do is link up local producers with, with consumers. And you can go, actually, that's great. I've found five different shops and I've ordered it. And it runs through this small sort of startup business that's just helping direct traffic, basically. And that's similar to what I'm doing, really. That could be that could be the answer to this problem where all the small shops are disappearing. Yeah. There's hardly any butchers anywhere anymore. Exactly. Trying to find a butcher is rare. There's one in Warwick. Yeah. One in, there's one in Warwick. There's one in Leamington. There's one I know of in Chelmsford. Yeah. There used to be loads of them. I know. This kind of thing could be the answer to getting your healthy food again, yeah. getting decent food, and stay, buying local. Because yeah. right now, the only barrier to that is lack of options and accessibility. Yeah, exactly. There's Lidl's, there's Aldi's, there's Tesco's, there's Sainsbury's, yeah, yeah. there's Waitrose's, there's Flipper. Yeah. I don't know Waitrose, I can't afford it. So, there's stuff everywhere. I don't know if you saw recently, but the Jeremy Clarkson did an article. I put it on my story on Instagram. I think I, I think it's Sunday Times. I'm not sure. Sunday Tele- I don't read the papers. That's my problem. Anyway, he does his article every Sunday. Um, and he, he'd written down there, like, in particular on the animal welfare side, which is so interesting that why why do we as UK farmers, why are we supposed to follow all of these welfare standards of making sure animals have got X, Y, and Z and their space and so on and so forth and their tract and traceability <coughs> when the government can go, well, we can we can just import stuff from Australia as well. It's like, well you, you can, but there's a reason why you can buy something halfway around the world and it's the same price, if not cheaper than what <laughs> we can produce it. Mm. And And that's the bit that people don't understand is... And this is where forces farming is different. Is it's it's about the people. If you could go to a farm and talk to the, per, the you know the, the man or woman or farmer whoever who's produced that food, they're proud of it. You know, they they he'd happily tell you about all the environmental side and the environmentally work he's doing, as well as how proud he is of, of the beef or chicken or milk or whatever he's producing. Because that's it. Because it's not it, it's the people at the end of the end of the line, really. And that's what I think a lot of it a lot of it gets missed along the lines. Is it's shortening that that sort of link to the consumer, basically? You know, a friend of mine he started a um, butchery down in Battersea during lockdown. He decided that 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 was the bit that, like you were saying that was missing was a local butcher, and him and his mate started it up. It's called the Butcher's Table. I think it's SW11. It's a cool place. And they age. If you want some steaks, I'd recommend ordering from them. They've like 50 day dry aged steaks, racks of beef like the length of your table is. 
Yeah, shout out to those guys. That's good. Some good <laughs> what was their name? Uh, the Butcher's Table. Butcher's Table. The Butcher's Table SW11 or something like that. You can't <laughs> miss them. Um, yeah, but it, and it's interesting while we're talking about butchery and things like that. So I was chatting with an ex, I think he's ex rifles, forget, I terrible with badges and what someone's done in the past because I'm just, I'm a farmer. I don't know talking about farming, yes. But anyway, so he came out, he left. Um, I think he, same as everyone, did a job, didn't like it, didn't enjoy it. Um, finished up basically going into a butchery. So there's a farm in Henley-on-Thames called English Farm. They're basically, um, it's English Longhorn cattle. They have the whole process under their control from start to finish, carving all the way through to butchery. They're looking at on-farm slaughter, if that's allowed by the government, so on and so forth. There's rules, you can't do that. But basically, they take the food, they take the beef from calf all the way through to butchery. And the veteran who's working there now is basically, I think he's been there, I'd have to forgive me, I've got it written down in the truck, but it's, it's like five years or so. And he's now at the point where he's a butcher, he knows what he's doing, he can butcher a whole animal into steaks, and they're looking for someone else. So basically the farmers come to me and said, look, we were talking about um, purchasing cattle from him a while ago, it didn't work. We, we didn't get the farm, etc. But anyway, we kept in touch and he said, look, I'm interested in developing someone on the butchery side, but also on the farm side. And what I found now is people come direct and say, I'm looking for someone with the right attitude, with the right skill set who can learn, but is also open to doing bits on the farm, a bit of butchery and things like that. And, you know, crikey, if you if you were a butcher, you you know, you're you're in a you're in a dying trade basically. There's not there's not many butchers around and things like that. And you know, so it's those kind of opportunities that come up through connections and through um Well, hang on, dying trade or a trade where well, there's demand but not supply. Yeah, probably a, yeah, well no dying you, trade, you don't want to go into that. No, it's no, you're right actually. That's a that's, <laughs> wrong phrase. That's a wrong <laughs> phrase, mate. Definitely, yeah. It's a trade that's got no no supply of people coming in. You're right, actually, it's not a dying trade because you can't well, you can't automate butchery. You know, Can you oh not? mate, that's a whole other discussion. We'll get onto on. farming automation and technology in a bit. Why would... can't Why can't you automate? Well, you, why can't you automate butchery? I mean, you've obviously seen this. You know, the, the design of fake meat and this, that, and the other. And you know, you can print a steak. Well, you can't print steak because the steak is made up. I of... haven't seen this. Explain. Go on. I've heard about it. So, it, fake meat is basically a a kind of vegetable synthetic meat. Synthetic, it? synthetic fake meat. Fake, meat. Well, fake Jeremy. meat's the company name. Is it? Yeah, no, they are. They're called. I think they're called fake meat. But it's meat, fake though, right? Meat. Yeah, it's, it's a meat replacement. Let's okay. call it that. Um, but it's made. Of, you know, it's got like beetroot juice in it, so the steak would bleed. Oh, that could fuck off. It's made from plants. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like genetically reproduced no, or something. No, this is yeah, oh, it's made from plants. For God's sake. I thought you were like I thought you were like you know like uh, test tube babies. No, like, no, it's not like that. No, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's fake meat. But it's fake. It's not fake news. It's fake meat. But no, I mean, eat what you want. I'm not in any way against anyone eating, being a vegan, being a whatever. I can't really kind of whatever they. I don't really care because it all comes out of the ground somewhere along the line. So. Anyway, um, I have to think where I was going with that now. Um, We're on about um, yeah. automating butchery. Automating butchery. Because that idea of, you know, you look at a steak, you look at a roll, a fillet, for example, and you know it's that long and it's that thick or it's that thick. You know where you've got to cut. Yeah, you could scan it and whatever else, but you couldn't sit there and go, right, that I want 500 grams, that is that much to cut off, and then bang, bang, bang. And that that's just not, people are just not interested in doing that now. So for, for me, for a farm to turn around and go, we got a position, we paid um, two and a half days in the butchery and two and a half days on the farm, basically come and come and learn, you know. And that, for me, that's a fantastic opportunity. Crikey, if I, if I could take up some of these opportunities that are coming up, it'd be, it'd be enjoyable. But, you know, if someone wants to work in a small team, good with their hands, 
isn't afraid of lugging meat carcasses around and you know doing the butchery side of it it's a fantastic job you'd have you'd have work for life basically and it'll always be changing it's just just an enjoyable place to sort of work really but um where are we going with that what were we saying we're talking synthetic meat and stuff like that and you can't automate but oh i was going to say to you about farm technology oh yeah 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 we can go down there if you want that's fine it's fascinating it's fascinating this i mean so we've just had um two different agriculture shows going on one was called cereals show i have got something i want to come back on to actually but go on go on um and it was just it was really interesting so for example at the cereals show they had the first uk uh drone crop sprayer so basically at the moment they're looking at agriculture if they can start to move towards drone Spraying, applying chemicals, or things like that. Or we want to get away from that, don't we? We want to get away from all that. We do, but then it it gets you down to sort of hyper localized treatment of plants rather than it's it's used massively in China, basically. And they're looking at it from a from an efficiency point of perspective. If you had ten drones doing the same work as a machine that costs like half a million, it's probably a bit cheap. Yeah, know. but haven't, I mean, if you look at that film i think you put on to me, me on to it was kiss the ground, kiss the ground yeah if you exactly. look at that yeah. isn't the problem that america have got in a lot of their states where the, that the soil is just shocking yeah isn't exactly. that down to over fertilization over uh, pesticide yeah it, it, no, <laughs> no, 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 no it is it is you're right but it it has its place in terms of let's say if there's patches of weeds that only need a specific treatment that you know you can start to do it do that rather than apply the whole field with a chemical but one thing I was talking to them about, for example, is a farmer down in West Sussex. He's got about two, let's say he's got about 2,000 acres of grass. He's got clover and he's got normal grass and he's got dock leaves. He can't blanket spray the farm because the the spray to kill the dock leaves will kill the clover. Now, the clover's high in nitrogen. That's good for the cow's immune system, good for putting on weight, good for feeding them. Um, so he can't spray one. So he's basically said to me a couple of years ago, he's like, I need a drone that can fly over and when I see either on the whatever phone or on the tablet i can i see a dock leaf i can spray it and then fly on to the next one and he and he said and eventually he said a robot will do that i was like well you can do that anyway but it's just we can't we can't bolt everything you're not allowed to to spray with a drone at the moment that the government says it's not you're you're doing bad, naughty things if you're spraying with a drone but you're not because if you not if you think sounds silly but like roundabouts and things like that and car parks and stuff you know weed killing and stuff along the edge of the road you, you you would eventually probably fly a drone down there, and when it sees a weed, it would spray the weed, and it would it fly around all night basically, sort of doing the weed killing at night, rather than someone doing it in the daytime. So there there are places where, but yeah, on the industrial side of agriculture, we should be focusing on using less chemicals and stuff like that. But the drone technology, for example, would give us more accuracy. Um, but there's loads of companies using drones for scanning crops and scanning fields and looking at yields and looking at soil carbon and this and this. so, so it's, it's a big industry but there's nothing nothing yet because i've had a, quite a few people i think you've got one up there is it uh no unmanned air veterans oh, i had a chat with those guys they're not up there no but yeah they've been on yeah that's it there's one of the sponsors yeah, yeah so i was chatting to those guys and i was like the problem with the drone industry at the moment in agriculture is is a farmer will still want to go and walk out in the field if you flew a drone over the rugby pitch and you said they they quite like the rugby pitch and it and it said like half of it was dying you wouldn't sit in the rugby club and go, oh, well, the, the drone said it's dying, so we better do something about it. You'd go out there and have a look. So, And that's the problem with farmers. Uh, I think that would change. 
I don't think it will as well. Because you would save time. You would. So they yeah. would they would get yeah. used to the time being saved. They yeah. allocate that time, that hour of walking around the pitch. Yeah. It only takes five minutes because they're reviewing the footage, yeah. reviewing the data. That's not, they don't have to review the footage. The fucking drone will tell them exactly where it is and go, you've got a problem. You're, yeah, go and screw it. Yeah. And then the other 55 minutes that they would save up, they would fill that time with other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Productive stuff. Yeah. And that, but, and that, but you see, you've just said that like as a person that's used to, you know, looking at data and things like that. And farmers won't do that yet. It's like, oh, no, I know there's weeds in that field, yet. but I better go and have a look yet. anyway. Yeah, no, yet. exactly. Yeah. It's yet. just, it, it's not even a resistance technology. No. It's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's one of those industries yeah. where they are, it's a culture thing, isn't it? They just take, they're 10 years behind. Like, we're yeah. 10 years behind America, the UK is, you know, yeah. in like technology and stuff. Yeah. Oh, arguably not, but, Probably you know, true. farmers are like 10 years behind everybody else in yeah. terms of, um, it's technology automation, adoption. for example, yeah, you're right, yeah. and and rightly so in some cases. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's uh, and it's a fucking art. Yeah, it's an art. Yeah. you can't just go and say one day I'm going to be a farmer. One day, no. there's generations of knowledge that yeah, exactly. you guys have it, that you can't simply. No, you're exactly right because you, know, you see, if you take the, the other end of like the, the technology side, would be a good example. Would be like robot milking. So suddenly you take you take out the element of someone needing to get up at half past four in the morning and go and milk. And then someone needs to go back in the evening and milk. Suddenly, you've got a robot in there, and the cow will come in when she wants to. But that system, for example, it's great, it's good, it's automated, it's probably better for the cow. But number one, you've probably lost two people's employment because you don't need two people on the farm, which is fine because it's extremely hard to find anyone that wants to get up at half past four in the morning, milk cows, have breakfast, do something else on the farm, and then go back and milk them in the evening, like six days a week or whatever, you know, like 10 on, two off sort of thing. Yeah, that is massive. If anyone's listened to this and wants to fancy working in the dairy industry, let me know. They're desperate for people. But if you put the robot in the element, suddenly you've got one person who's now reviewing data and going, oh, well, why didn't cow 576 give us the normal 20 litres? She's only given us 15. I better go out and have a look at her. And she might be walking around with, like, a bad foot. So she's expelling energy. Rather than making milk, she's expelling energy into fixing her lame foot, basically. So that's where data is transferred into something tangible, if you like. But unless you've got the network and the forward-thinking company and business and people in in the right place, it won't it won't happen, sort of thing. You know, you've got to have someone that wants to sit there and go, "Oh, that's you know, that's that's an anomaly in the data. I better go and look at that," rather than standing there physically every day putting cups on a cow. Question for you: yeah. When you said to me robot milking, I had visions in my head of like battery battery hens. And right. all the cows lined up with fucking tools attached to them is getting milked. But then you said, honestly, that's what I thought, because I don't know. Yeah. I thought, yeah. well, that doesn't sound very ethical, Jeremy. Yeah. But then you said, the cow will walk in yeah. when it wants to. Yeah. Right, describe this robot milking process to me. Because so it did not sound bad at all. No, it sounds that, like flipping. What, what's the stereotypical name for a cow? They call Daisy. It Daisy. Daisy. <laughs> Daisy. It sounds like Daisy cow. squared away. She's doing her own thing. She Watch is. Corey. Yeah. Go and get milked. Exactly. By the go robot. and eat something. Go and lie down. Go and get milk. Exactly. No. So yeah. So basically. So if you imagine, sensitive. So it's be about probably not quite as high as a phone box. If you put four phone boxes together, you get about the right sort of footprint. It fits around a cow. So the cow walks in. They've got collars around their neck, and it registers on the on the on the robot milking machine that this cow's been in actually three times in the last hour. She's only here to get food. So Daisy walks in going, I know that if I walk in here at some times of the day, I get a bit of food. So some cows will go round and round. They walk in and they walk in again like, 
no food. I go around again. They walk around again. So some cows learn to trick the system, try and trick the system. But the system goes, you've been milked today. You're not getting any food. Walk <laughs> on. Yeah, I know. It's great, isn't it? But hang on. So, so it's, going uh, back to the machine. Cool. So yeah. if they were going to be milked, they'd walk in. The, the tag would register what number they are. And then literally an arm comes out underneath. Four lasers basically position the, the cups. And then it goes on goes on to the cow and because she's being milked when she wants to she basically stands there and she'll naturally let down the milk and then you end up with what we got in the bottle over there but once it's done you know once you sort of stopped or whatever the the system shuts off um you'd have like filters in there and sensors in there so if there was any sort of like temperature change in her milk for example it might signify that she's got an infection or something so don't you know don't let that milk go in with the other milk Plus, you're looking after the cow's welfare. Yeah, exactly. What's the car? What's the cow doing when it's not in that booth? When you say it's cutting about, where, what? So is she, it, in, she, is she, it grazing? No, no, this is so. This is the challenge because if you want a robot, it's very difficult to put robots in fields. If that makes sense. So you could. You, there are systems where they take the milking parlors to the cows in the fields, rather than making the cows come to the milking parlor. But cows have done that for generations and years and years and years. They're used to. That's why the Holstein black and white cow. That's why she was invented. Basically, was to walk and produce milk, and and that was that was what. So I'm where's the cow when it's not in the? So book? in a, in a robot situation, she's normally eating grass or eating silage near the farm, either very closely, in if she paddock. can walk out. Yeah, in a paddock. So even if. Not like locked up. No, 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 no. Or they are indoors. That's the thing. Because sometimes it will only work if they're around the robot. And the robot might be in a building. So some of them might be housed more than others. But that would be seasonal, would it? Yeah, probably. All year round. The thing is, you. it depends on this. This is, again, what I was saying, like with the ploughing and stuff. Every, everywhere is different. For example, you can have a farm where, say it was 150 acres. Like, you know, that's 150 for rugby pitches, whatever. You'd... If you could, if they could access the farm like at all times, if they're in a valley, and they could walk out up out the farm into the grass fields, eat the grass, mill about, chat to their mates, wander back down, go into the shed with a robot, milk themselves, wander back out. That works. It's when you get to the more commercial systems where they've got, for argument's sake, four or five hundred cows to milk, and they can't all be around wandering around. Then they need to stay basically together in a shed. And that's when you end up with the, the buildings that have got like cubicles and things like that. But at the end of the day, they're in there, they're lying on mattresses. It's not it's not like they're unhappy. They're eating, they're breathing, they're you know, they're healthy. It's not like they're cooped up chains and, you know, their ankles are whatever. It's not like you see in the videos. And the silly thing is... Well, it is like you see in the videos at those stupid fucking farms who treat their animals like that. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Which is what happens if yeah. you don't know where your food comes from. You know, a good friend of mine said to me the other day, he said, here's a question for someone. He said, you can't, you can't let them think. Is someone we both know? No. No, oh. this, he, he, no he, he's another chap. He's, another, he's helped me a lot before this farming, actually. Um, so you can't, you can't think about the answer. You've got to give me an answer straight away. And he said, how much does a litre of milk cost in the shop? Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What, 90p? See, people don't know. Oh. So but that this links back to the, like knowing where your Was food right? comes from. Mm, it's about 75p, okay. basically. But this links back to if that pint, if that litre of milk there cost you 90p, well, actually, that 20, 20 or 25p of that profit that you didn't think about has gone to charity. And he sort of said to me, he said, that's, that's the element that you've got with like forces farming. He's actually, you're producing something. It could cost a pound a litre, for argument's sake. A really good point. I never look at them. No, prices exactly. You never look. So those, those, um, what you call staple things in your diet, like milk, butter, 
potatoes, bread, you don't pay as close attention to as a piece of meat. So therefore, there's two elements. Number one, if you're selling milk, for example, you could sell it for... That that bottle there, for example, sells for £2 a litre. Um, but that is, you know, straight from the cow, straight straight to you sort of thing. Um, but you you know where it's come from. You know, she said... Oops. You banged that before. I time. did. I know, okay. if I can put my hands together. Um, <laughs> but you know Daisy's had a good life and she's been happy. Um, but yeah, the other side of it, you know, going away from the robot side, it is better welfare, but it's a lot of data management and knowing the animals but it's, it's good you know it's high welfare they can go in they can milk themselves when they want to they're not in a routine if they don't want to go in for a day two whatever they don't have to and then oh, then we get on oh no if we talk about dairy farms we have to talk about like stealing the baby calves and the other the other argument that everyone's got well, we would come on to it we didn't have to we mentioned no it. i know no, but, but i just thought the thing is mate is that well, you, like i again i'm enjoying this conversation i'm learning like yeah. you know I, True, no one else might listen to I'm, us. Well, no, but I'm under no illusion. You know, there's animal cruelty. I'm under no illusion yeah, it happens, right? I'm also under no illusion that the the whole the whole vegan versus not vegan, sorry, but not vegan. You got the animal agriculture versus the um, like it'd be like animal, animal agriculture animal. argument. There, 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 there are pros and cons to both sides, right? Yeah. But again, you, you don't really. It's hard for me to understand and 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 sort of and form my ideas around it, my opinions around it, without speaking to people who yeah. understand it, like you do. And again, we're not fucking scientists as well, no, right? No. But yeah, you know, you've got experience in doing it, and, and so, as well seeing it. If you can see what you, basically what you're buying, you know that that's a huge part of it these days. You know, social media. There's a really good account on um, Instagram called Cups on Cows. And it's this family that farm... <laughs> seriously, were well, they milking cups? That's what you put on the cow. But it's this... It's Two this cows, one cup? Four... Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... I had to think then. No, two, cow, two cows, eight cups. There you go. Because <laughs> they've got four teats, mate. No, um, no, but do you know what I mean? But it's, there's, there's no... They're not. They're not hiding anything. They are. They are the industry. There. It's a family business. They're, they're building up. You know, growing up, bring up a young, you know, young kid, and and it's just so nice to see. But you see, you start to see what who's behind your food, who's behind it, because it is. It is a. Um, you know, it's an economy at the end of the day. You know, the rural economy without farms, you could close your gates and not do anything, but. Things just run wild. It, it, yeah, but when you start throwing in, like you know, you talking about earlier about things being profitable when a young, you know, young someone wants to start a farm, and you were talk, talking about certain certain things about making it really well, meat, you know, yeah. making it profitable. When you, when you start banging about the money topic, then that's chucked in as an argument against it. Oh, it's all money, and it's at the expense yeah. of the animals. But here's the here's here's like this, the, the, the the crunch with it. It is in the farmers in an ag, in an animal an animal agriculture for any farmer who actually wants to succeed and correct me wrong here it is absolutely in their interests to have healthy animals yeah. he healthy animals is in their interests because if the animals aren't healthy whatever they're producing it could be chickens producing eggs it could be cows producing milk it could be sheep for the slaughter if the, if the animals aren't healthy they they have to deal with illnesses and ailments in the animal which costs money you have to deal with poor quality meat which means it's less mm. likely to sell or they get less money for it and well there's the two things and then, less and, quality product yeah. and it fucking costs them money and 90% of the time you if you you know you break even because you don't count in your time 
you know, geez, like that, that state that's over there, if me and my other half, if we'd put in our time into that, you know, we'd never, we'd never, you'd never make anything sort of thing. But that's it. it it's a way of life. It's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. It, the on. subject I want to come back to. Yeah. Was, sorry, I interrupted you there. No, no, go on. No, I was just going to say, it, it's about, the, 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 you know, there's people behind it as well. Um, but it is, it is about just, just knowing where stuff came from, you know. Go on, you go. The thing I want to come back to is about sustainability between animal agriculture and uh, what's the opposite of animal agriculture? What is it? What do you call Maybe it? Arable farming. Basically. Arable farming. Yeah. Right. yeah. So um, is this sustainability between the two? Not sustainability. The amount of resources you use. Yeah. So there is an argument that is regularly made that the resources needed, natural resources needed to, to, uh, to produce X amount of... Um, you know, X amount of energy, flipping protein, flipping carbs, whatever, from animal agriculture, yeah. right, is more than what arable farming uses. Mm -hmm. So therefore, arable farming is less costly on the environment than, I know we touched on this slightly, we didn't really, yeah. that it's less costly than animal agriculture. Is that the case or not? Because you've, you've been quite honest in some... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regards, I mean, not everything being in the animal agriculture. Sort so of, the uh, thing is, sorry. if you if you want if you take arable arable farming for example in terms of crops, um, I wasn't insinuating you'd ever lie, mind. I just meant you, uh, what I meant was some yeah. of the stuff you said earlier. This yeah. it isn't it, it. You haven't wholly gone out to say no, no, no. Animal agriculture is much better than flipping vegan side. You've yeah, actually said well, I, they're quite equal in something. So um, yeah. which is admirable it, because it's a really difficult subject to broach, especially is. from your side. Yeah, yourself. it is. So no, but it, at the end of the day, if you look at produce, if I answer it, just go a different way around. If you look at producing like a kilogram of protein, what is the best way to do that? Is you can either, you have to do some sort of cultivations or some sort of something to the soil to get the crop to grow. So if we if we go on two paths, for example, like livestock and, and, our, and, and the crop and the, or the vegetable sort of side, if you look at the animal agriculture side, you've got an animal that if that, Let's say if there was no one around tomorrow, cows, sheep, whatever broke out, they'd be grazing. I love coming back to the rugby pitch. I don't know why. They'd be grazing the rugby pitch because it's grass. So they would be turning that grass that we can't eat, which grows everywhere. We've got the climate for it, as you can see. It's July and it's pissing down with rain and it's warm. So we can grow grass. We can grow copious amounts of grass, same as New Zealand and places further down, you know, Brazil or whatever. So we there is an animal there that can basically turn a source of protein, grass, if you like, into a source of digestible protein, which we can eat. That cow could live... You could put a cow out on a rugby pitch and it could live there all year. You just have to move it around and make sure it had enough grass to eat. You, that can do that all on its own. And then, lo and behold, I know you can't always go back and say everything was right, but someone killed the cow and went, we can eat that, we can put that on the fire and cook it and eat it. So suddenly, they... It might have been a zebra, buffalo, whatever, caribou, I don't know. But somewhat that process of going, you're eating grass, we can't eat the grass. Versus if you've got the same rugby pitch, you look at that and go, right, well, I need to take something out of that soil to grow something else. So I need to either move the soil and put a seed in it. And then the soil is probably not right, so I'm going to have to fertilize it. And then there's a risk of disease because it's been wet and warm. So I better put a chemical on it to stop the like an infection in the leaves, for example. Oh, shit, now it's got dry and warm and we're about to harvest it and suddenly there's a bug trying to eat the grains. We're going to spray it with a chemical. Um, 
right now we're coming and harvest it with a machine and so on and so forth. They are two very, very different ways of producing basically protein. Either put an animal in an area eating something that grows very, very widely and very naturally in the UK, or you have to cultivate it. And it doesn't matter if you're eating aubergines, courgettes, whatever, that soil has to be moved. That carbon has to, is released from the soil as soon as you move it, an element. Whereas, yes, the cow stands there, it's producing methane, but methane lasts in the atmosphere for about 10 years before it's turned into carbon dioxide and then reabsorbed into the plant. So it's a, it's a cycle. She's eat, she or he or whatever is eating plants that are consuming the carbon dioxide which comes from the methane that she's producing. But go back, to, so going back on the arable farming, you were saying the carbon's getting released because... Yeah, so as soon as you move soil and you expose... Why do you need to move the soil? Explain that to me. So the idea being that if you if you went out into that grass and put a, let's say, a load of wheat, for example, if you wanted to grow a loaf of bread or whatever, um, if you if you didn't move that soil and somehow destroy the grass, that grass would outcompete the wheat that's growing. And then when you come to harvest it, you'll have a load of grass seeds in the wheat. You mean turn it, you mean plow yeah, it, that exactly. kind of thing. Plow you say it, move over. it, you yeah, mean move it. it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But I mean, you can, you can go through with a disc and it, it will slice into a crop, for example, and it will put the seed in, it will close it up and it will hardly move any soil. But you still have then an element of crops growing around it that are a competition. So this is where, like on that Kiss the Ground movie, they talk about the... Um, the chemical Roundup or glyphosate. So if you wanted to get a good crop of wheat out of that rugby pitch, for example... Phil Eels is going to go mental. He, let's <laughs> choose something else. <laughs> I'm joking. He's, you, he looks out at that pitch. There you me. go. Yeah. So you'd go out there <laughs> with a weed killer, basically, and you'd, you'd kill all the grass, and then you could plant a crop of wheat or whatever, or courgettes or aubergines into it in theory, and they'll grow because the grass is all dead. But at the same time as you spray in to kill the grass, you're killing things in the soil that that are beneficial so that's the whole argument of actually and if, if this is a good friend of mine in in the Cotswolds this is what he he approaches or how he approaches it is basically you move the soil as little as possible because as soon as you as soon as you move the soil basically the soil says I'm exposed I want something to grow and they generally grow weeds for example so like a molehill for example would grow you chances are in a couple of years you'd end up with a dock leaf growing there for example huh. so seeds like weed seeds can stay in the soil for like 25 30 years and not grow and as soon as you pull a plow through like a rugby pitch you're exposing those seeds to the surface that might have been there for 25 years and not grown and then all of a sudden they go oh i've got a bit of moisture it's nice and sunny i'll start growing so moving the soil generates sort of like weeds that that, that can start to grow because the soil wants to cover itself um but yeah you could you can do it different ways but you've got to in some way kill the crop that's there so you you have to do something to it, and that might just be cultivating it or moving it and beating it up enough, basically, that it will die. But chance, but pretty much you need to do something to it to be able to basically ensure that the vegetable or the or the or the crops or the arable or wheat, barley, or whatever grows, you know, better than the crop that wasn't there before, basically. So, can you do? Can you mix animal? So that, let's take the rugby pitch for example. Animal agriculture on there. Mm. with a crop growing in the same position yeah so you so again the same chap down in the Cotswolds a friend of mine Ed over the winter he plants his wheat for example in let's say October into November as that's growing through the winter it gets to sort of you know 20-25 centimetres tall what he does over the winter is graze it with sheep 
So they eat all of that winter growth, and then it comes around to the springtime, and the plant says, well, I haven't got all this other growth. I'll start growing new, clean, fresh, disease-free leaves. So he's then starting to save a lot of money on chemicals and inputs from that side. But that's also while feeding lambs over the winter on the winter-grown wheat that he's then going to combine in, in the spring or in the, in the summer, basically. So you, you, can, you can do it in the same field. It's just a different way of thinking, and that's one of the things that... Can you not... Aren't there crops you can do it at the same time? Isn't that one of the things that, there, that they did in Kiss the Ground, one of the farms there? Uh, probably. It depends on where it was in the world. But yeah. they had some, I think they got a m- much wider variety. Yeah, of like millet and things there. like that. You can you can cut it and it'll keep coming back and cut it and it'll keep coming back. And chicory is another one, you see. So if you... Chicory has actually got like anti-parasitic properties in it. So do you remember when you... Chicory? S- chicory, yeah. So you get it You get it in, um, in supermarkets in a different format that it grows in the field, but... Um, never even heard of it it's like a pink it looks like a pink lettuce in it, but it, it's a bit oh, yeah. thicker whiter stems but um, and the same you know when you used to run around as a kid and you'd get that sticky stuff that you'd grab out the hedge and stick on someone's back so that is also that is a I know Nick Goldsmith will know this but I can't remember but that's like a natural toxic flush so if animals eat that it will basically flush their entire system if they had worms for example they'd go and pick that out of the hedge and go I need to flush the system diarrhea for a couple of days but that also works for us and and things like that so there's all these natural elements to if you can feed animals healthy or healthier crops or or wider diversity then actually they're they're growing even better and even healthier than using any chemicals so chicory you could cut and keep cutting and keep cutting again and then every six weeks for example if you fed that to the animals they'd fill up with just with chicory but the anti-parasitic properties that are in chicory leaves um, basically kill all the worms naturally. And it's the same. So willow, it's probably growing everywhere around here. You see like weeping willow and stuff like that. That's got the base chemical for aspirin in it. So cattle and sheep will chew the leaves and the bark as a natural painkiller. So if you ever yeah, see them, you know, cows browsing hedges and things like that, then they're generally picking up something because they might not be feeling 100%. So... There's so much you can do, um, and the environmental side of it is—it's like it, it just fits together. You know, crops grow better on the shit that comes out of a cow. It's—it's it's not natural. It is. It's not—it's na- natural for them work to work both together. And you can't just open all the gates and, and let all the cows out and say we're just—you know—they'll just—they'll just be wild because you end up with inbreeding. So here, you know, here's a question. So a friend of mine up in Yorkshire, you've, have you heard about them talking about rewilding and you know everything should just go back to nature in some areas? So his father up north he basically approached the council and said right i'm going to look at rewilding like 100 acres of my farm for it to be truly rewilded you need to close the footpaths because you can't have people walking through with dogs and stuff if it's rewilded that's not rewilded and if an animal dies in the river in the middle what do we do about it because it's rewilded you can't go in it's going back to nature and he said but by the way that that little stream, you know, feeds whatever river that feeds a reservoir. And they were like, oh, we haven't thought about it. Um, we're not sure. We can't close a footpath. He's like, well, it's not going to be rewilded if people are walking across the field that's wild with their dogs and stuff. And he's like, and, and I can't just let animals die in the river. You know, so we, 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 we would, if we were going to farm it, we'd fence it off and we'd keep the animals out of the river. And the council were like, oh, we, never, we haven't had these questions yet. So so you can't just say, we're just going to rewild everything. Because it's not, you, you, I spoke to an ex-army chap at the weekend, and 
you know, he said, he summed it up, he said, you can't, you, nature has to be managed to a certain extent. We don't live in an unmanaged world. You know, you can't just say, well, we're going to manage everything between the hedges or the, the sides of the road and inside all, you know, all the cities and towns and people's houses and everything else is just going to go to pot because you can't do it. You know, you, we've, we've designed a country that fits, that made nature fit around us. You know, when I lived in Germany, forever I used to see like wildlife bridges across motorways and stuff. So they'd funnel all the wildlife to a certain point and then they could still go through the forest as if it was as it was. You don't see that really very often here. It's road going through there. You know, you take, I don't know what's going on with the, what is it, the, um, what is the high speed HS2? That's not far oh, from yeah, here, is it? Yeah, it's not far from here. You know, I've got no idea what the environmental impact of that is. No one really does, but. It's apparently more important you can get from London to, was it Birmingham in, was it 45 minutes? Rapid. Yeah, rapid. And it's like, that's great, but we just had COVID. Aren't most of those people going to be working from home? I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm a real cynic, but do you know what I mean? That'd be a great mobile office. Yeah, <laughs> the thing about how many cars, journeys, and that's for reduced. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I haven't looked into it. I, no, I don't know. I know. Yeah, but I'm, I'm of the same, um, probably like the chap you had on last week, the um, conspiracy theorist. Steely Broom. Yeah, so you see, I think, for example, we should, we should open up the, um, you know, you should open up the canals again. Let's get the canals going again. Take some lorries off the road, put them on the trains, and put them on the canals. Get the canals working again. You know, they do it in Germany, where I used to live in Mannheim. You know, there's, there's a lot of army bases around there. It's not far from Ramstein. Um, you know, they're still using the Rhine River. You see barges going up and down there. I mean, they're huge. You know, it's not it's not that hard, you know. Have but you anyway. the size of canals, right? Yeah, there? I know. That's what I mean. It's not going to work, obviously, but there's too many <laughs> too many tourists and too many stag We're going well off the down. beaten path. We are, right? aren't we? Right. Where are we going to go? Uh, Do you want me to talk about forces farming? That's where what I was going to ask it. So the aspiration is for the, for the farm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fingers yeah. crossed, soon, yeah. fingers crossed. Is that you want it to be overwhelmingly um, operated by XMIL? Yeah, yeah. So the plan is that we can run, Forces Farming Limited would run basically farms or land or help manage land with ex-military direct input. So, for example, if you said, like I mentioned the dairy industry, if someone said, I'm interested in getting into dairy, I don't really know much about it, but I may as well give it a go, that's fine come down to the dairy where we are in Hampshire that we're looking at renting basically and, and, and running as a business under forces farming you know come down spend spend a day just to start with I'll take you around the cattle we'll do some cattle handling this that and the other you know and joking aside if someone turns up with like carrier bags over their trainers and you're like it's not really going to work is it you know but if someone turns up you know, you know they're RAF, <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> you know what I mean though yeah. but it, yeah. that it, and and the value then to a farmer for example or to a potential employer is that I've sort of vetted them to a certain extent and it doesn't cost me anything I can, you know, if someone's come down and give me a hand doing this doing that making hay making ciders even just to the point you know you, you've seen what Nick's done with, with the cabin and stuff like that you know even just having days where you say to people look we're not doing anything glamorous today we're moving X, Y and Z to there and that's it sort of thing or we're chucking bales or doing this doing that but if if it's a site that can give someone something to do or a step into a right into a different direction, then it's worthwhile. And you, the difference with forces farming is, and what a lot of farmers are saying to me at the moment is, it engages on that social aspect. So farming's great. You know, we can. God, I said this earlier today, but you know, we can plant more trees and we can do this and we can do that and we can protect the environment and we can eat less meat and we can do this. But there's got to be a pool of people that 
are not available to farmers, but are that want to get into farming at this time of change. I mean, chap on Sunday, again, I was talking with, you know, he said it's like the, the next agricultural revolution. So agriculture has gone through like basically four revolutions. You know, so they, the first one, they started turning the soil and getting better yields. And then it went through to like mechanization. They got a tractor, you know, over a horse. And then it went through to like fertilizer and better yields and so on and so forth. And then, of course, post-war, everyone was told, you rip out your hedgerows, we need more food, we need more everything to feed the nation following the Great Wars. Farmers went, right, okay, if you're going to pay me, if you're going to subsidize my costs and make me grow more, I'll do it. And what's happening now is farmers are actually looking at it and going, right, well, maybe we need to use less fertilizer or maybe we need to use more animals or maybe we need to, you know, let someone else run the farm or hand it over to a family relative or whatever. And that's like this fourth or sort of fifth agricultural revolution that's going on at the moment is the transformation of food and farming. But it's a fucking awesome time to get into it. There's so much going on, um, you know, to look at. But yeah, the plan is that forces farming will be a farming location. Um, and then that might be, you know, come in for a day and we'll do your, like your telehandler, your sort of JCB forklift kind of license. But at the same time, you can spend a bit of valuable time on actually doing stuff with it rather than just turning up, doing the certificate and going home. And then you turn up on a farm and they go, right, so you can you stack those bales? No, I've never done that. All right, okay, I better show you how to do it. And then you spend like the first week at your new job or somewhere, you know, learning how to do stuff. Whereas actually, if you'd done that for a few hours with me, you'd have a bit better of an idea. And it, it doesn't cost me anything, you know. And, and there's companies that are invested in the idea of supporting the whole movement that sort of forces farming, supplying machines or, you know, locations, that sort of thing. Um, you know, but going back to the, the animal side of it, you know, there's that un, that underlying, let's say, benefit of just, it sounds silly, but just hanging out with animals. It's it's good. You know, working with animals is is good. It's frustrating sometimes when they don't go where they should or they go where they shouldn't, and that's it. But, you know, I spent January to um, end of May working for a friend, and she's got two and a half thousand breeding sheep, and they had basically 1,900 of them lambed in May, April, May time, and they ended up with 3,000 lambs. You know, so there's 5,000, more than 5,000 sheep, you add in the other ones, there's probably about like 6,000 sheep that she's managing and it's her and then the, the head shepherd who's a friend of mine. But I've never seen someone like so committed that works so hard and, and I, I fought full on, you know, new respect for shepherds and doing what they're doing. So like I was saying to you about the guy, so I went back the other day and they were shearing um, and the whole point of this conversation is that I'm just giving like options or rep, you know, potential ideas for someone that wanted to get into it. But, like the shearer, so we were shearing sheep the other day. The guy that's been doing it, the guy that runs the company, he was he's been doing it about five or six years. So he's lugging probably eight to ten hours a day a sixty kilo sheep out of the out of the out of the gate basically between his legs, hold it down, shear it. He's doing that in about forty five seconds and earning a pound. But over the day, he's probably earning I don't know, say about three hundred quid. And I don't know any other job where you can get a physical workout. If you don't want to talk to anyone, that's absolutely fine. The music's blaring, it's it's loud, it's busy. If you want to switch off, but you're fit, go and be a shearer, like for six six weeks or whatever. It's 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 a, it's a way of doing something different. You know, honestly, I've I've fucking I couldn't do that job. I want to know 
what music he had blaring when he was shearing the sheep. What what did he have on? Do you want me to play it? Did he? Uh, really? I, I made a quick video. One of did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Please play it. Up to, what is it? Hang on, I'll have to find it. So I've got. Oh, Just while you're finding it, I grew up in a farm, mate. Yeah, I've met him. One That's of the most one thing I was going to bring up. With one you. of the most inc- uh, one of the most incredible upbringings that anyone can ever have. And I would, I loved that environment. And it was a, a breeding farm. It was sheep, and it was and it was uh, cows. And it was just unbelievable. And the variety, the variety of what you could. Because I'd help out on the farm. Yeah. Nor sometimes in the summer, sometimes in the winter. I, I would go lambing in the winter if they want. And I was young. And lambing in the winter to go if they wanted. I'd go out on the quad with the farm, and we go and we go to the the sheep that be struggling yeah. to to give birth, and we lug it onto the we either like help it give birth there we'd lug it onto the quad take it back in because his mum was a vet and then the, she'd she'd help us I remember, yeah. I remember pulling I remember pulling the calf out of a cow that was struggling to give birth and it was the old it was horrific at the time yeah. like, obviously I now know it's normal but there and to pull the calf out of the, the cow stood up with yeah. the calf's head half out and the cow was in tatters like it was really yeah. dodgy and um, they got the tractor in and they put the tool on the back of the tractor yeah. they took they put the straps, tied straps yeah. around the calf's feet. front yeah. feet, and they pulled the fucking calf out of the cow with the tractor. <laughs> but they both survived, and the calf up and cut them out. Unbelievable! Just <laughs> and then the bailing in the summer, like yeah. you said, you got this. That's is a, not normal, by the way. They don't normally pull cows. No, out I know, I know. But it's you know, and then like yeah. dipping the sheep, and hey. it's just it, there's such variety. It's physical yeah. workout. Yeah. It's not when I was doing it as a kid because I yeah. wasn't at that level, but it, it's brain work. Mm. It's a, it's complex stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the I remember, you know, what the farmhands were like with each other. It was just fucking banter. Yeah. It's just banter. It's just good. You know that that kind of environment. I think that you you could you would crave when you leave to go and where where'd you get it? There's certain there's certain industries. Obvious industries where you can go and get that construction industry. You get the banter. It's fucking hard work. People are grafting. It's open. It's honest. You know, someone gets thumped very so often, <laughs> rightly yeah. so, because they messed up, kind of thing. Exactly. Farming is another one like that. Yeah. Farming is another one like that. That yeah. banter element is. I mean, someone said to me once when we were at Mission Motorsport um, up at Silverstone, there was a chap came over. He was an ex-marine. I can't remember what he ended up doing, but his family farmed. And he, he said to me, he was at home and one of the workmen said something to him. And he turned around to me, he was like, mate, that is fucking dark. And he was Where like, was he on a farm? His family had a farm. Oh, right, yes, right. And this, this guy had been there like 40 or 50 years. He'd worked on the family <laughs> farm. So he'd, he'd, known, he'd known his parents like 20 years before this, this chap was born or whatever. But he, um, he turned around to me and he was like, that's fucking dark. You can't believe you said that. And he went, <laughs> what do you mean? He was like, mate, he said, some of the stuff I've seen is that, like, it's bootneck, isn't it? They call it. Yeah. He's like, you know, that's like something I would say. Where where does it come from? He was like, well, I fucking grew up on a farm, mate. He said, that's not half the, you know, that's not <laughs> half the humor I've got. And what I always say to people is, you don't need to, you know, if you, if we, if, if I, if I put my forces farming hat on rather than a dirty farming hat, but if you don't want to transition as much as possible, or, you know, as much as you think you have to, well, fucking hell, go and work on a farm. You can have that bad. If you if you don't want to talk to anyone, fucking hell, you don't have to. You can either sit in a tractor on your own, or you can go and be a shepherd on your own. You don't have to talk to anyone. But if you do want a load of banter, where you're taking the piss out of each other, we had it a couple of years ago. I was on the harvest team. We had two two forage harvesters harvesting crop for the biogas plant, and there was about six of us on the trailers. We would chat all day on the CB radios. You didn't even have the radio on, and I've never known like nine blokes just get on like that and have a laugh and have banter and take the piss out of each other. And you can't do that if you work in, in a bank 
or on a high street or you know or have to wait till you get that's the thing that you know or you have to wait till you get home till you have a bit of a you know cool off sort of thing so like, oh, if you're on a bad day you can just jump out the tractor and have five minutes and chill out you know it's not no one's going to shoot you. no one's going to fucking tell you off if uh, if you're having a bad day and you say something fucking hell you know that's that that's the other side of farming to be fair that i did want to mention you know it's 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 the industry with the highest suicidal rate and it's you know mental health is is a serious thing in farming i don't put any kind of rose tinted spectacles on the industry it's like it's fucking hard work it's long hours if you want to commit to it you know it's if you get like the, the assistant shepherd for example where i was saying was lambing you know if he gets a phone call on um sunday night at seven o'clock if he's just sitting down for roast dinner and they ring and say sorry the sheep are out or the cows are out that's it he's got to go you know so it, it, it works both ways but it it's it's a fucking good place to be i and you were saying when we first met, I remember you mentioned to me that on some, or quite regularly, you go on a contract on, on a farm yeah. working in an estate, and you get put, you get accommodation like a house. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's that traditional industry where workers are not expected. That's the wrong way. Where workers invest their lives in their job, and that's rewarded by accommodation or a house or whatever. So. There's a chap, um, a guy called Brody. He's at Sandhurst. I don't know what he is. I think he's a commissioned officer. I don't know. I said I'm telling you, I'm told, terrible with what positions people are. But anyway, he came to me about a year and a half ago and said, I'm interested in getting into agriculture, some sort of management, so on and so forth. Wind forward about a year and a half. Of course, we had COVID in between. But I was at a show a couple of weeks ago, and a guy I know who works for an organization, we had a chat, caught up, etc. And it, as I was leaving, he said, by the way, Farmer friend of mine in North Warwickshire, somewhere I can't remember exactly where it is off the top of my head. Um, the farm manager there is well over retirement age. Do you know of anyone ex-military that's interested in getting into becoming like a trainee farm manager? And I said, Yeah, I do. I've got exactly the bloke. I'll send him your details and I'll get him to send over an application. He did that. Um, wind forward about a week later, he's been offered the job. He's accepted the job. He's handed in his resignation, and he's going to move basically up this way. Um, I can't I'll have a look on my map in a bit but yeah he's going to move up here as a trainee farm manager to take on this family farm eventually over the next couple of years but in as part of that package was a three bedroomed house and that's on the farm that's that's owned by the estate it's more valuable well it's more valuable it's a tough one because if you imagine if you're if you were offered a house that's probably worth I don't know for argument's sake I don't know what a country cottage would cost in rent around here probably a grand a month yeah so you think there's 12 grand that the farm's missing out on. So if you said six, maybe round figures, say it's going to cost the farm 10 grand, for example. They don't have any rent coming in from it. So they might offer a lower salary, but suddenly you haven't got to find any rent, you haven't got to find a mortgage, you've just got to go to work, and that's paid for your house. It's a big pressure off of your sort of mind. Um, and it, there are still jobs available. you know. So he's been offered a job with a house and accepted it and he's working out the sort of circumstances with them now kind of thing but because you're invested in that family invested in that job you know you're rewarded sort of accordingly which whether that's a house or a vehicle you know probably a vehicle costs i don't know best part of five six grand a year you know if you do if you don't have to pay for a car if you're not paying for fuel suddenly you're not you know you don't pay insurance you don't have to pay tax mot it's worth quite a lot every month, you know, and as long as you don't abuse it, it's 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 sort of, it works out. Um, you know, but likewise on the other side is if someone then decides to leave, that I wouldn't have said can cause ripples, but 
it's a sen- it's quite a sensitive industry. You know, so if you just had a bad day and were like, oh, fuck this, I'm not having to do this, I'm not getting up tomorrow, I'm not going to milk tomorrow, well, hang on a minute, suddenly there's no one else that can do it. If you've had a bad day, you sort of need, sounds like you're bad, but you kind of need to suck it up, buck up, because tomorrow the cows need to be milked. Same as the military. It, it, exactly. You, you can't walk out, you can't go, and you can't unfit. But, and this is where Forces Farming sort of sits, you can ring me up and have a chat and go, do you know what? I've had a fucking shit day. Calves died. Another cow did this. You know, that didn't fucking work. I put the milk in the wrong place. You know, that's shit. They shouted at me. Fucking hit that mic again. They shouted at me for this. You know, and, and, I, and I sort of sit in between the employer and the person that's doing the work and say, all right, well, hang on a minute. I'll ring them up and I'll talk to them about X, Y, and Z. You know, and I'll have a chat with them and I'll talk to them about, you know, like, because the thing is, I didn't realize, you know, in the minutes, you don't have to like three month reviews. You start a job now and generally in three months, you come together with your employer and go, you know, right, we're going to sit down and talk about it. I had a um, chap who was down in Bobbington, you know, he was hired by a a dealership, a machinery dealership, and he rang me up like after a couple of months and he was like, fucking hell, I've got my three month review tomorrow. What the fuck am I going to do? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I never had one before. We just got promoted and moved and that was it. And I was like, right, first of all, it's as much for you to tell the company if something's not right as it is for them to tell you if something's not going right on your side. So yeah, but what if they fire me? I was like, they're not, they're not going to fire you. <laughs> it's, it's a three, I said, you like, you'll have the same in six months. You know, it's, it's, it's standard procedure sort of thing. And he was like, oh, right, okay. You know, but we spent half an hour talking about it and it was fine. He went in there and sorted it out sort of thing. And, you know, he's quite happily engineering, playing with tractors and toys and bits and pieces now. But, it's just, it's just about. I think that's you know, if, if you want to know like forces farm, it's just like facilitating someone's transition from here to there, sort of thing. You know, it it doesn't cost me a lot. That's hence the reason it's not for profit. It's got the charity in the background, um, because it's it doesn't cost me a lot to do. You know, and I can I, and if I can help someone get a job, you know, so that's that's two people hired in a year through COVID, and one guy down in the Kent who's volunteering on a farm. That's in my own time. I don't take any money out of the company. You know, the company's just sitting there at the moment, just as a name, eventually to work through to rent two farms, hopefully over the next six to 12 months, um, and start producing food, as we highlighted with the price of milk. If you think it costs you 90p and it actually costs you 75, there's a there's a margin there, to, in, in inverted commas, that could go into charity, that could fund this whole project. And that's where the idea of Forces Farming Food comes from is that it can be it's a self-funding sort of charity basically so oh fucking hell stop you've bumped that mic five times I know right. I'm tell you last, <laughs> last question yeah, we're going to need to start wrapping up in a minute yeah Why, where does the connection to forces come from you're not military no no a lot of people tell me I am I don't know why so you, anyone that <laughs> serves must come out with a beard and tattoos and <laughs> slightly overweight and smokes Gobshite. Yeah, gobshite, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, uh, you, t- you called me that a while ago because you said, no, you're just this weird civvy that gets on with people. Um, so I, I, I'll quickly go over it. I, so I was sitting, I, in the one of the previous jobs I did, I was selling, I was a technology consultant for GPS steering and things like that and whatnot. So I was sat with a contractor, we were talking about data and his tractors and machines and he, just, he just wasn't wasn't there. I was like, what's up? And he was like, fucking hell. He's like, I've had my, insurance renewal come through he said i've got 100 grand's worth of claims in one year from people seasonal drivers driving on people's grass damaging gate posts damaging tractors smashing windows in the machines you know backing into so, buildings so, so his drivers being wankers and the customers yeah. who whose drivers are servicing were putting yeah. claims against the company yeah right. yeah yeah 
Um, but I said to him, I said, but that's damaging your business name. And he was like, never really sort of thought about it like that. I said, but, you know, I said, I, so when I spent a long time in Germany, I learned a lot about agriculture and the industry and how even agricultural contractors need to market themselves and have a reputation, whatever, etc. So I just said to him, have you never thought about recruiting from the military? And he went, I wouldn't know where, I'd love to, but I wouldn't know where to start and I wouldn't know how to make sure they've got Why the Why did you suggest that though? I don't know. It just, it just. I've, I've always known there's a there's a crossover, but it just came to me, and, and I, I was just thinking, it was down like near Guildford, and I was just thinking, there must be a group of people, uh, you know, let's say a, a sector who have come out, and then through when I moved back to the UK from Germany, um, I got back in touch with Nick Garland, and I think it was 2016 when he left. Um, and we just sort of picked up. I just rang him up, and I was like, D -d -d "When you come, when you came to leave, I said, was agriculture put toward put to you as a job?" And he was like, "Mate, it's not even on the radar. You, you, you're as and you're as far disconnected." And then, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the early podcasts I did um, with Will Blackburn, he he said, "You know, when you're when you're serving or when you're you know posted somewhere, nine times out of ten, you generally you're probably walking through farmland." So actually, there's there's almost a, a synergy there already, um, and and it just it just sort of develops from there really. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to try and find my way through how and who to talk to and stuff like that. Um, but it, there's never there's never really been any sort of solid link. I think I just and I think with like my let's say my mental health challenges that I've had in the past of when I left um, my sort of corporate career and good salary and things like that and crashed and burned and you know divorce and things like that and hit rock bottom i just think well fucking hell i had to pick myself up from a very very low point and you know build my life again sort of back into farming if that makes sense because when i came back of a corporate job i could not get a tractor driving job believe it or not people were just going you know you've had you've had good money you'll be here for about a month and then you'll leave sort of thing so i i i had believe it or not when i came back had 87 applications i applied for jobs and eventually got a job working driving tractors. And I just thought, Do you know what, I've just fallen back in love with it. I love it. And if I can help promote it to other people, and likewise, the other bit for me, and this is where Nick really sort of helped, is is it it's a it's a family unit, you know, generally transitioning out. And if you can if I can focus on a successful transition in terms of, you know, the partner comes home from the job over the moon happily loves it been playing with sheep all day or cows or driving a tractor that's great but if the spouse and the kids are not happy you know you, you it's not sustainable so for example we were chatting I, I went to see my accountant for example the other week he's down in dorset middle of nowhere basically tiny village and i would say i was explaining what i was doing forces farming and helping people you know and i said the nice thing for me is i said it brings people into rural rural community and he turned around to me and went, if you find anyone that wants to be an accountant in a rural village in Dorset, let me know. He said, we cannot find people for love and money. But you see, if I can find someone a job on a farm in Dorset and it's commutable distance for the spouse, then they could move into like an accountancy career, you see. And then suddenly, even if it's just two days a week, you know, you've, you've got something else there for the whole family. And it's that element there that's really important, I think, to move forward. And that's why, you know, Forces Farming's a farming business because it's it's me and my other half and, and and the animals. And it's 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 about the the farmer. It's about the person, if that makes sense. That's where the whole industry sort of starts. And if you can get the whole family on board with that, then it's 
you're on to a good direction, shall we say. Um, and I saw something the other day, it was in an article, and it, it was, it start, the sentence started with farmers trust farmers. And I thought, fucking hell, that's true. And it's, it'd be the same in military, wouldn't it? If you, were, if you were anywhere, in a bar, pub, rugby club, whatever, and you, you know, if you were two, two competing teams, but it turns out that two of you had served whatever at the same time, somehow knew each other, you'd have something in common, you'd talk in a bar after a game, for example. It'd be exactly the same with farmers. You've got because you've got a relatively um, uh, rare ex- shared experience. Yeah, you're in from a minority so you're of from the a population. Minority. Exactly in in an industry or from in a job or a, a, an industry. Yeah, if you want to call it that, fucking military and farming, which yeah. is very hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. You know, it 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 affects not for you everyone. as a person. Yeah. You know, more so than other industries yeah. do. Yeah. You can, it's the same with firemen. It's the same with police. It's the same with um, ambulance service, same with nurses, doctors. It's the old meme, isn't it? Yeah. If you know, you know. You know, it's, it's a, yeah. you know, you meet, you know, they know, and they know you know yeah. things yeah. that no one else and those shared experiences. No, I completely understand. Maybe you got to start wrapping it up. Yeah, no worries. Forces farmers mega. You know, I think it's mega. We wouldn't be having this conversation otherwise. No, I, know. I, I think it's a brilliant. And the fact that we've been chatting for two years. And yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. So quick, just quickly, the other thing I wanted to say is, in terms of building it all up and where it's got to. I, you know, people like yourself, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, people like yourself, Mission Motorsport, (laughs) you know, Mikey uh, has, everyone has looked at it and gone, Mikey Valance. Yeah, everyone's looked at it and gone, fucking hell, this is a good idea. And you're not a twat. So, (laughs) you know, that was a polite word, you know, but it's just the same kind of people. And that, I think that's why it works. It's because it's just like, you know, me and, go back to me and Nick, but, you know, we were best friends in school. Fucking hell, we used to ride around on mopeds and I wrecked loads of, you know, shit at his house and wrecked bikes and did, you know, pimped his car. But we were the same kind of people. And I know that that's what, you you need to know someone, if that makes sense, to help them get into agriculture. So I, I get a lot of emails and you reply and you talk back and forth, but they don't, you know, you know someone's not serious, if that makes sense. But if I can get to know that person and their situation and help them move forward, then... It, 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 it's, it's not a lot off my back if that makes sense I'm just helping people find their place and find their way forward basically what about women well, do you know what we've been very sexist in this conversation I'd, what about women in the industry I mean that is massive seriously so there's a whole movement specifically focused on it's called basically if you search the hashtag she who she who farms she who dares farms you find a lot about organisations specifically for excuse me specifically for women coming into agriculture um so there's a massive movement on the social media side. But interestingly enough, looking specifically at the livestock sector, your dairy, your sheep, um, veterinary courses, they are actively looking for, for females, basically. So there's a sort of... It's not an, it's not written anyway, because you can't put it that way. But if you have a female herdswoman, obviously, she should be herdswoman, not herdsman, but she will have a different relationship to the cows than any man so for example our cows at home if my girlfriend goes in the field they know she's she's been there she's seen them every single day since she's had them basically and fed them and you know reared them injected them looked after them and if i go in they're a bit more like i mean you just come in when she's not around and you don't sort of do that but if you turn it around the other way like i do a lot with our sheep if i go in you know the sheep might react differently sort of thing but women are i would say more sought after in the industry than than men in particular especially around the livestock sector definitely yeah but talking about vets is interesting actually i had another chap i put him in touch with an organization in wales um he's an ex-medic 
and he was like, "What what can I do in agriculture?" And I was like, "Look, if you if you want to potentially use your medic skills for something else, large animal veterinary medicine, it's fucking screaming out for people." And he he dropped me an email back, and he was like, "Hey, that's bang on, awesome idea, thanks. I'll I'll pursue that." And I was like, "If that's all it needs, great, that's fine, crack on, you know." But um, yeah, no, definitely women and being honest with you so i went to a show recently called groundswell agriculture i put a load of stuff on cool. linkedin groundswell it's all about regenerative agriculture and you'll have to come up next year and the other reason is they've got a they've got a beer tent which is open on the night of the first you know a night after the first day so it's a really really good show um but it the amount of female speakers easily 50 50 honestly and in a show where they must have had I best I guess knocking on a like a hundred hundred speakers, hundred sessions. I bet easily half of them are female. And and the thing is far, as I said before, farmers trust farmers. Far, it doesn't matter if you're female, male, whatever. If you want to get into farming, if you if you if you're passionate and interested and motivated, fucking hell you know, the industry it would take anyone. Massive not not take anyone, but do you know what I mean? It it's a it's a great place to work for anyone, if that makes sense. So yeah, women, massive, um, especially in the dairy industry. Again, if anyone wants to work in the dairy industry, hit me up. But it's, yeah, it's just a fucking awesome place to work. And I'm going to get you down sometime. We're going to play, move some sheep and definitely shit mate. like that. Because I know right you, into it, yeah, yeah right definitely, into it. especially when you've grown up on, on farms, mate. And um, yeah, we'll get get back up here with like some barbecue lamb, and if Mikey's Mikey's meats the barbecue. Well, he's he listens to this. He, he's 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 been told. He's been told, Mike. He wouldn't have to tell him. He would offer anyway. Exactly. He just listen to go get that meat off you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mate, it's been mega. How it's do people follow what you're doing? Find out more about Forces Farming. So it's at Forces Farming on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and it's the same on LinkedIn. Or message me on LinkedIn, Jeremy Gibbs. It's just. That's that's the thing. Or to be honest with you, my mobile number's on the website. If someone wants to Dangerous. get in touch, yeah, I know, but I, I don't get that many spam calls. And, and I'm, do you know what I'm terrible about answering the phone? Because if I've got six things on the go at once, I can't answer everything. But so what's the best way for people to get hold of you? Drop me an email. So go onto right, the website. There we go. Yeah, we go. We'll get there in the end. Don't worry, <laughs> long winded. So so go on the website. You'll see there's an info at forcesfarming.co.uk. Just hit me an email, um, and then I'll reply straight away. But irritate IT stuff but a lot of my emails end up in spam boxes I don't know so. and the website is forcesfarming.co.uk yeah exactly yeah mate yeah. Mega. good pleasure mate. mate really enjoyed it thank you very much there you go. been a pleasure that's it to my sponsors thank you to Rugby for Heroes a not-for-profit organisation fundraiser for military charities since 2009 and they've raised approximately £114,000 in doing so. An incredible amount of money raised organising charitable events, rugby and beer and gin-orientated events. Look out on their website, rugbyforheroes.org, for the next events. They had the last one last month in June, 26th of June, and it was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Also follow them on social media, at rugby4heroes. Thanks, Mike and the Rugby for Heroes. Also sponsoring the podcast today, were the Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group deploy technical innovations, cutting-edge technology, surveillance technology, drone technology, and ground-based technology to try and rid the world of unexploded ordnance and unexploded landmines, and also to make post-conflict zones a safer place for operating in, working in, and for the local population. Go to aardvark.group, hit their shop, and if you work in a post-conflict zone enter the, uh, and need some kit, their shop can provide it to you. Enter the discount code H-H-O-U-R, so H-R without the hyphen, and you'll get a discount at the shop. Thank you, Aardvark, aardvark.group. Finally, sponsoring the podcast today were 
the Development Society. The Development Society is a community of like-minded people who want to be better than they were yesterday. Uh, go to their website, thedevelopmentsociety.co.uk, and sign up for the Daily Waves newsletter. You will get a host of information, very useful information, into your inbox on a daily on a daily basis. You'll also get uh, you, you'll get access to their um, to to when their Zoom yoga sessions are being held. They're the best kind of people you can be involved in if you want self improvement, personal improvement, professional improvement. DevSoc is the place to go. They're also on um, social media at the Development Society. Thank you to all my sponsors. Thank you to you. If you're enjoying what I'm doing, please become a patron of the podcast. Go to patreon.com forward slash HK podcast. And the, for the price of a coffee a month, you can support what I'm doing and be a even more integral part of the podcast, part of a, the core community right at the center of HR. Patreon.com forward slash HK podcasts. That's it. Until the next time, out.